We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Welcome and hello to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben, the Hand of God. And tonight we are looking at a Battlestar Galactic episode that is strangely named after Ben. Imagine that. Entitled, The Hand of God. Not the Hand of Cod, which is where they go into the Pisces constellation and it's a different one, as you'll see. Oh, I, I, I thought that was tonight. Fish Friday. If we recorded these on Friday, I would go for that completely. I had fish Friday. Surprising enough, ah. it was busy. Mm. Good Friday. There were apparently a lot of people eat fish on Good Friday. I guess I probably should have known that, but I didn't realize. Uh-huh. Anyhow, Apollo, Sheba, Starbuck, and Cassiopeia are on a, let's call it a double date. Apollo takes them all for a surprise. A celestial chamber high above the Galactica's engine. Room. Mm. What a euphemism. In over a hundred yarns <laughs> that opens up onto the vastness of space so that navigators could fix on stars for navigations manually. Apollo has been fixing it up, repairing the disused equipment. While there, a strange signal comes in on a gamma frequency, a long obsolete type of communication. Apollo thinks it might be from Earth. With Boomer's help, they investigate. His conclusion... It might be a reflection of a nearby signal, or it could be a primary signal that has traveled 10,000 yarns or more. The Galactica begins searching and finds a solar system in the path. They dispatch a patrol to investigate. What they find is a Cylon base star guarding the rim of this galaxy and blocking the Galactica's path. The base star is still unaware of the colonial fleet and faced with the alternative of backtracking a long way to go around something or other, Adama decides to attack and hopefully destroy the base star before they can muster an effective defense or call for backups and reveal the fleet's position. While the fighters prepare, Apollo hatches a crazy plan. A plan which Starbuck is all too eager to go along with that involves flying Baltar's Cylon Raider to the base star, getting inside and sabotaging the scanners before the attack begins, blinding them, the approaching Galactica. Adama doesn't like the plan, but he knows how to make it work. He offers Baltar his freedom in exchange for intel on the inside layout of the base star and the normal operating procedures. Baltar agrees, and if they survive, he will be released and marooned on a habitable planet. The plan doesn't sit well with others, too. Cassiopeia and Sheba have words for Starbuck and Apollo, respectively. Cassiopeia is quite direct. She loves Starbuck, and why does he have to volunteer for all the high-risk certain-death assignments? Sheba, on the other hand, is less direct. But the situation is no different. She has come to realize that she is in love with Apollo and does not want to lose him. Nonetheless, our heroes have a mission to fly and they can't be concerned with the feelings of hysterical women folk, by gosh. Boomer also wants to go along with him, but, but he's responsible and has a job to do, leading Apollo's squadron. As a parting gift, he gives them something more practical than a kiss goodbye. He gives them a very, very important piece of high-tech Felger carb that will allow the Vipers to know which Cylon Raider has Apollo and Starbuck on board and therefore not destroy them in combat. 
I think we all know how well they're going to look after that piece of critical kit. Apollo and Starbuck infiltrate the base star, and their mission is a total success with only one casualty. The electronic gizmo dies a heroic death. The Galactica's attack is a complete success, and the base star destroyed. And Apollo and Starbuck survive because Boomer actually paid attention to one of Starbuck's jokes. Later, in the Celestial Chamber, Apollo is still waiting for the return of the signal. He still thinks it's from Earth. Some routine ship-to-ship chatter that has spanned the stars. But since they have no automated monitoring and recording technology on the Galactica, he must sit and wait, hoping for something more. Starbuck convinces him to leave and attend the victory ceremony. After they leave, a signal comes in, unseen. The eagle has landed. Hand of God, hand of God. Let's just start off with that whole celestial chamber sequence. Was that a planned foursome? Because everyone seemed in on that except Apollo. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think obviously Starbuck and Cassiopeia and, and Sheba seemed kind of a little giggly along the way too. Like, uh, they all had some little thing going there. But I, uh, hmm. I always thought that was a weird scene. Even, even when I was a kid, when I watched that, I'm like, something not right here with this sequence. I, hmm. I don't know. It, hmm. Hmm. Um, I cannot put my finger on that. Um, it, it never felt out of sorts with me, ever. I mm. mean, I've only seen this episode twice, the second time being yesterday, and the first time being back in the Stone Age. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's hard for me to say. I, and when I watched it yesterday, I didn't get that feeling or that, that, that you're experiencing about it being awkward or, or anything like that. I, I, I mean, I, I do get, I mean, I should, I should stand for Apollo's honor here. I think he's completely oblivious. And I think, I think he's literally a kid with a new toy that wants to go up here and show this. Well, that's clearly yes. what he seemed like. I mean, he he couldn't wait to show them. Yeah. I mean, he's like, look at this cool place I've got here. But, you know, the wheels are turning over there in Starbucks' head. It's like, here is a place where we are totally away from people. I mean, he was like trying to do stuff in launch bays down on the ship. And, I mean, and it's a place that no one's going to like. No one's going to want to go to it because, A, it's like really loud. Nobody knows about it. Ooh, it is the perfect makeout point. <laughs> nudge, uh-huh. nudge, say no more. It, it is kind of like, let's go up to the cliff and watch the stars. It's, it's you know, the new inspiration the point. Yeah, yeah. And and I just I just get the feeling that, you know, obviously Starbuck is taking this in his mind all the way. But I kind of I kind of get the feeling that the girls are kind of in that. Yeah, I think they're taking us to up for a, kind of sexy time. Uh, and, and the fact is that Apollo is not. He's just like, look, look, look. <laughs> In other words, he's being a nerd. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. But what we do learn is some frightening things about the Galactica. And, and once again, the Cylon War. The Galactica is 500 yarns old. Yeah, I was actually surprised by that. I'd forgotten that little fact. And I, I heard mean, that, and it's like, wow, that that's an ancient ship. Because I remember when when the series got rebooted, and we're introduced to you know that that Galactica, and it was dealing with old tech, 
as opposed to all the other battle stars which had this new technology which made them vulnerable to this weird kind of like EMP computer virus thingy mm-hmm. that the Cylons were doing. Wiping all of those ships out, but leaving the original Galactica actually sort of immune because it was so old. So now, so coming back, <coughs> excuse me, coming back to this series, when I started watching it, um, I kept, so I, I don't know, I, I, it's not that I made the conscious thought, but I just had this this little bit of uh, subconscious satisfaction, the subconscious sense of satisfaction that at least this Galactica is, you know, one with the fleet, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, yeah, it's oh, not an no, it's not. It's, it's like a great-great-grandfather. Oh, I think they're all that age. Yeah, it might be. I, I think, I think you know, this is back to that whole, I don't know. I mean, first off, there's some things about this that, you know, drive me mad, but but they are short-sightedness on the part of the writers, right? Just just like, oh, we, we, we can't record this stuff. We can't monitor these signals. Oh, we can't pick up a gamma signal down in the bridge now that we know that we're looking for it. None of that stuff. I mean, it's, it. there is this ridiculous lack of plausibility to the way some of this tech works. And I think that's just poor poor writing or, or poor future seeing or, or, or whatever it, it is. But, it, you know, it, it is it's troublesome um, the way they just kind of deal with these things. And I think, you know, I think we have to believe that the Galactica is the same age as the rest of the fleet, which tells us that the fleet, they haven't been advancing much. I mean, yes, they've obviously upgraded the Galactica some because they don't use the celestial chambers anymore for example um but you know why aren't they building new ships bigger and better ships i mean 500 you know assuming a yarn is a year 500 yeah. years is a ridiculous ridiculous amount of time for a piece of technology of which, any mm-hmm. kind which you think they would have done with that cylon war going on instead i mean we really don't know much about That's the what, nature of the war that's what wars do, right? Yeah, they I mean, usually they either... spur uh, a, a whole building of new technology. Until you reach a point where you start collapsing backwards because right. you've exhausted all this stuff. And, and that's another thing. We've, they've been fighting for a thousand yarns. They should be long past that point, both them and the Cylons. They should be long on the downward spiral and, and long gone by now. But but instead, they're not. they're just not pushing forward like you would think that they would have to. And uh, it, it really is poorly, I, I, you know, I, you, you, okay, there's science fiction where you have spaceships like generation ships who are centuries and centuries old, right? And, but that's germane to what those ships do. You know, they're supposed to last centuries and travel to the stars and, and have whole colonies of people living inside of them and all, but that's not what you do with a warship, right? You, you, I, uh, yeah. And then, come on. And then the other other aspect of this is who in their right mind believes that if the colonials could build a battle star 500 yarns ago, that their computer technology wasn't good enough to do navigation, mm. right? I think I seem to recall, and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to admit my ignorance here, but I kind of seem to recall that when I watched the pilot of the new Galactica, which as you say, they talk about the fact that the the Galactica was an obsolete ship. Didn't they like use hand cranked phones or something? Something like that. Uh, uh, It it looked, it it did look very, 
It it low it, tech. It, it it looked low tech. In fact, it looked like maybe you know, like maybe the submarines that we had back in you know at, at the end of the twentieth century. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as a a, a hose pipe where they blow in it and the whistle. Oh heavens no! But it was you know it was very incongruous uh, on the ship in my mind. And of course, then they made it into a plot point, and it's like okay, I can accept the that. But I still have trouble believing that a spacefaring race could build a ship like that and not already have advanced a- and navigation beyond shooting the stars with a sextant or whatever it is that they're that they're doing there. Uh, also, if the war is a thousand yards on, the Galactica wasn't built till five hundred years into the war. Does that mean for the first five hundred years they were flying without? navigation at all other than looking at the stars i mean hey it's like the sailing old like the old sailing ships i know that's a bad rationalization but but the cylons should have could have would have wiped them out except for stuff which i'm going to mention later but i mean (laughs) it's like yeah it just i mean it's a neat room it's a cool idea to go up there and open it up and go like wow this is kind of this is cool i mean it, it it's almost like it's almost like the concept of 10 forward on the Enterprise uh, D, mm-hmm. where, you know, you have a big room that's open to looking at space because that's cool. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine how being cooped up on something like that, a ship, you would you would want to have a big picture window and look at it. So I could totally see there wouldn't be much reason for it on a battleship if it's just for pretty sea. But I mean, I, it, it's a cool idea for a room, but it's just not well thought out for, for why it's there. And, you know, it didn't even need to be that to find the gamma signal. Mm. Right? Nothing to do with the celestial. That was just, yeah. I don't know. This episode starts off weird to me. Um, but there you go. Uh, Wilker. Wilker is over on the electronic ship, so he can't help him out with those gamma signals. Um, Boomer, it turns out, is also an expert on communications. Did we know that prior to this episode? Nope. Never heard it before. Okay. I knew he could jack a car or a hovermobile, but uh, I did not know he was an expert on communications. And and I'm you know you know what he is an expert on? Flying a shuttle. Yeah. So like he could have gone and I don't know, got Wilker <laughs> and brought him back to the Galactica? Mm-hmm. Just a thought. <laughs> Just a thought. I mean, somewhere three quarters of through the episode, um, Apollo says, did they get any further on those signals? No, Wilker's still over on the electronic ship. You have a potential signal from Earth uh, there or something, and, and you can't be bothered to bring Wilker back. Or you couldn't, I don't know, transmit a copy of it electronically to him over on the show. Yeah, it's a, again, it's that technology thing that they just don't really um, look it out. Um, we should mention Boomer and his bloomers. Yeah, um, yeah. Do do we did we um, did this scene seem out of place? I mean, Sheba is one of the fighter pilots. Doesn't she sleep with them in the uh, barracks? Uh well, we have not seen evidence. I mean, obviously they have female pilots. We've seen them even in this very same episode when Ob- uh, Obama. Oh my God! I can't believe Obama. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're thinking of Colonel Ty. Yes, I am. Okay, yeah, sure. When Adama was uh, given the, the briefing on the attack. So, yeah. yes, we've seen female pilots. You know, They've been back since the beginning of this season. But I don't ever recall seeing them uh, share barracks. So yeah, it's possible know. that they may have their own room. 
I mean, we do know based on early uh, early episodes that, yes, there are female warriors that have been for some time. So it's very possible that they may not be co-ed, if you know what I mean. Well, now, wait a minute. Have there been female warriors for some time? Well, there's a mention of it uh, by Serena when she's talking to uh, Apollo, when she wants to join up. She even says, your sister's, you know, Athena's a warrior. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's not a pilot. She's okay, not a pilot, pilot, but part. she does call her a warrior. Because there is that whole, you know, she's in the military. And right. we have other women who are in the military. Okay, so that's, and it's... The warrior is the name, what they call their military. So, okay, that's that makes sense. Because they also make a very big deal about the fact that women flying fighters? Yeah. <laughs> Don't be silly. That's nuts. We've been, we've been fighting this war for a thousand yarns and we haven't had to have no women folk on board as fighter pilots. <laughs> that's, uh, of course, then they have Sheba as one on the Pegasus, but that's probably... Because of daddy. Because of daddy. Right. Although you would have thought so, that, that would be the first uh, situation of daddy not wanting daughter to be a pilot. Yeah, but you know, who knows what kind of family yeah, dynamic knows? exists there. So, I mean, between Sheba, who's, uh, sorry, Sheba, Cassiopeia, who is either a former prostitute who has probably seen more male anatomy than most of the other men in the ship, um, or a nurse now who probably has, has seen, seen more male anatomy. More male. Yeah, she seemed awfully giggly about about Boomer. It, it was standing it, in very not revealing underwear. I mean, I yeah, frankly, I wouldn't be concerned about being seen in those underwear. I mean, they're freaking as big as gym shorts. Well, you know? I, I I thought, oh, <laughs> Boomer, you're you're so okay. So you're a shuttle pilot. You're a fighter pilot. You we just found out that you know something about. Uh, gamma communication and oh you're a boxer <laughs> yeah so and then i i just can't picture sheba being i, I you know she, she's been in the military she's been in the fighters uh, you know she, it just it just struck me as being more a concession to oh look women and a guy in his underwear he as opposed to really thinking about who those two women were and that you know it, it, boomer is boomer is behaving as if he's in a room full of People who just woke him up in the middle of the night who are grown adult colleagues uh, mm. and he's not, you know, really exposing anything. So it's, uh, yeah, but I, we had to, we had to mention him. Now they get ready for the battle and they go into the barracks, which is where we see both men and women fighters, but pilots. But again, they could have brought the girls over from their barracks and we see them in there. And Adama is showing them a model. Yeah. Wow. That's start. a nice model. It is. It might even be the one they shoot for. The- <laughs> it might have been. It's certainly better than the ones the that were. It's it, it's certainly better than the one that was being made. At, was was it by AMT, the same company that did the Star Trek models? I think so. Yeah. It it it, it was better than that one. I so I it's think that was an actual. I oh yeah, I think that's the actual shooting model. I'm, I'm pretty. Or it certain. could be one of the secondaries, like when they had two. Like one in the distance and one nearby. Maybe that was the farther away. Oh, they were too cheap. The models are a lot bigger. Eh, they were too cheap to to, to have to worry about that. It's like, oh, you just do split shot, you know. Could be. Absolutely could be. Um, So he's explaining to them about what kind of weapons they have and how many fighter pilots they have on them and the defense system. And I'm thinking, is this not the type ship that they have been fighting probably for 500 yarns? Because the Cylons probably aren't making new ships either. Hmm. Did he really need to explain to those pilots this information? Well, again, we know nothing about 
the war, except that it was there. We don't know anything about their, their battle statistics. But these are the type ships they've been fighting against well, so since they left the Theoretically, yeah, well, yes. Uh, the, although we've never seen them really... The only time we've seen them engage... Um, actually, we've never seen them engage a silent base star. Uh, I, well, let me take that back. Uh, we Not when they first ran away from the colonies. They were not fighting a base star. They were fighting the, the, the Cylon warships, uh, the little warships. Uh, the only other time they uh, faced a base star was with Commander Kane and the Pegasus. And now. Okay. Only time but, we've seen those, it. But those base stars have been there in the field of combat. Right? I mean, they were there over Carillon when the... the Viper pilots were escaping. Yes, they didn't attack them, but you know they're there. They're providing support. They're provide for the Cylon fighters, and apparently they they're pretty and darn powerful too. And Be- they didn't bother to teach their pilots about the known enemy weapons. That's I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's like yeah, sure, all right, maybe you want to go over a refresher course or something about fighting a base star or what your tactics are going to be on a base star, but. It just seemed kind of, obviously it's for the audience, but... You're right, because I could have sworn, and maybe I'm thinking of an earlier, maybe I'm thinking of uh, the episode The Living Legend, but I could have sworn that there was a moment where they actually destroyed uh, the two of the main weapons, because we know that they've got you know, the, the, the regular cannons, the Cylon uh, Base Star has got its own little cannons, but it has like what I think they call like two pulsar pulsar weapons, pulse, pulse, pulsar weapons or mega cannons, and, something like yeah, that. But these was... these were like the main guns. Yeah. And I seem to remember seeing something, and and I didn't see it in this one. So it must have been the Living Legend. But I seem to remember Apollo and Starbuck actually going out and destroying those, thereby giving uh, the Battle Star, the attacking Battle Star, better odds. That was Living Legend. Yeah. I get it. Must have been Living Legend between the two of them, so that they couldn't shoot at them with the big guns because they were they would turn at each other, and then that's they went on a strafing run to try to clear out those those weapons for mm. Kane okay. to come in. Yeah, but that so, would have been of course, the... Apollo and Starbuck are well experienced officers from before, and yet that colony. was yeah. that was a good tactic. I mean, for this show, that that's a good battle tactic, and I was surprised that we saw nothing of that type. Uh, no strategy planning like that. I mean, everything was just simply based on okay, Apollo, Starbuck, you get in, blow you know, blow the computer center up, and get the heck out. And I thought, well, okay, so what about everybody else? I mean, is is everybody else just some sort of funky decoy, and you're just hoping that you know the the Galactica will be able to you know punch a surprise move? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It. it I mean, it's like it's, yeah, like, it's like a sucker punch. It's, it seemed like that they were uh, betting everything on. Yeah, and I. <sighs> You could come away from this sounding like a base star is a, a battle star and a base star are not a match for each other. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling they're the not. The base star is overpowering. Yeah, and again, if that's the case, why do the colonies last so long? You know, well, how, how did they hold out against the Cylons who have weapons in seeming equal numbers uh, of of vastly superior power? So. I, you know, up till this moment, I thought a base star and a battle star were relatively well matched. I did too. I was surprised to hear Ty in Formadama, or I think it was Ty, saying that the battle, the the Cylon base star was the more powerful ship. That that I was not aware of that little 
fact. And I actually found that so distressing. It's a flying killing platform or something like that, which, you know, I thought that's what the Battlestar was too, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a, they're warships. It, you know, maybe they're trying to impress upon the, the new pilots about how dangerous, but, but again, I still think that, you know, if they're doing battle simulations in the simulators and whatnot, that they probably should have given them some of this information before this day about what you might encounter mm -hmm. in your enemy, you know? Um, I'll have to get here. So we have the Cassie and Starbuck bit of drama. Um, nothing new here. No. I think we knew, I think we knew all along that she's in love with Starbuck. And I think we also knew that Starbuck is really kind of in love with her. Yeah. Because uh, he, he told Chameleon that much as, uh, a long time ago. But I thought it was interesting that he, he, he kind of conceded it to her. You know, it's like, yeah, I do know. I do know what you're... I do understand what you're talking about here. I just don't want to live my life dwelling on what might go wrong. It's a lousy way to live. Okay, I, I will agree. But if you spend all your time worrying about what might go wrong, that's probably not good for your general health. Probably not. Right? An outlook. On the other hand, if you don't take into account what might go wrong, why isn't he dead? <laughs> mm -mm. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to. I mean, he certainly does think about what might go wrong when women dump him because he said as much. He doesn't want them to get close because he doesn't want to get hurt. Right. right? That's that's worrying about what might go wrong, isn't it? That that is exactly the opposite of what he just said in this story. That he's he's silly and not not a consistent individual. But the one that does surprise me is Sheba and Apollo because I thought that this was pretty obvious. In fact, I, I kind of thought they were dating all the way back to War of the Gods. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'd going out for dinner or whatnot, but they, you know, they seem to be in a sort of very flirty, togethery kind of pally way. Mm -hmm. Starting around that episode, so obviously Apollo was a bit jealous, even though somebody called him on that. And he goes, oh, you should know me better than that. It's like, yeah, actually, it does kind of seem like you're a bit jealous. Yeah, he was. And, and you know, Sheba, in some ways, was behaving a little like she was guilty about um, being kind of drawn in with, with Ebly. And I have not seen any of the so-called snapping at each other and we've been on each other's, you know. No, that was, that was only right at the very, very beginning when, you know, during the living legend when the when they were first trying to integrate uh the two the two crews that was the only time we ever saw any kind of tension yeah um, and, and it, but and it was really more uh surrounding you know whose flag are you going to follow yeah it it, it had it had a justification behind it i never got this whole snappy snap thing and i and i'll go so far as to say that that would make more sense if this episode immediately followed that episode mm. right or maybe immediately followed war of the gods possibly the worst case scenario except that when they go to the celestial chamber at the beginning of this episode this looks all the world like they're on a date let's, it's let's sort of does no no it really it's does it's a date it's uh, yeah it's a, a great evening together it's a date yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yes you can go on a date with someone and not necessarily be confessing your undying love to them it's it's more it could be more of an exploratory thing and you know that 
that is, but I mean, it, it really seemed like they were a lot closer and that they knew they were a lot closer in that episode, at that point in this very episode. Which is why when she comes down and says, oh, we've been fighting and everything else, like, like what? Huh? You guys didn't know you two were a thing? I, I would. Uh, this is this is worse than Sam and Diane on Cheers. Oh, I know. Right? I mean, we didn't even know you thought there was something not right. I mean, Sam and Diane used to yell at each other and, and be snarky and stuff. I mean, it was that was part of the comedy it's when the, everybody is exactly right. It's the comedy. <laughs> but here, these two, everybody knows they're in love with each other, and we're not even seeing any of the snarky. It just wasn't there. <laughs> no, at all. So, um, all happened yeah. off camera. Bingo. Yep. Oddly enough, for this suicide mission, what was missing in this episode? Hey, Dad, are you going on another suicide mission? Oh, boxy. Yeah. Not even a mention. Nope. Not even a uh, boomer. When I'm dead, look after my boy, would you? Right? Nothing. No. I mean, I'm pleased. (laughs) The child was a serious mistake in this show. But you've got him. You kind of have to... Oh, maybe he's on the electronic ship with Dr. Wilker. Oh, that's possible. That could be. It's like, whoa, that just... All right. I did like the line where um, uh, they said something to the effect of, you'll be out, you'll be outnumbered two to one. And I forgot who it was that said, well, that's better the odds than what we had at Caprica. To which Boomer rightfully said, we lost at Caprica. We lost at Caprica. So, but I, I heard in the pilot episode, they can outfly Cylons three to one. Well, they certainly seem to in terms of a fighter against fighter. I mean, that's the way it's always appeared that, especially in light of this new revelation that the base star is more powerful than a battle star. So if that's the case, it's interesting that the uh, colonial warriors, or the Viper pilots, are able to completely outfight a fleet, you know, it's, assuming it's evenly matched, that the, 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 the Viper pilots would have pretty much not, not much of a problem dispatching the Cylon fighters. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, let's, let's turn our attention then to the Cylons, because I have Cylon questions. The first is, it all comes back to what is it about, what, 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 how do the Cylons work? Uh, I mean, we've, we've been wondering about that since the early part of this series. Right, right. But another one crosses my mind. When Sheba wants to go on the mission, she says, well, a silent fighter takes three people to fly it. And, and Apollo's like, no, it just has that guy in the back giving orders to the other two. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I, I, that does not make any sense at all. I would First not... off, why would you design a ship that requires two people to fly it in the first place? Because how can that be efficient? You know, if they're copying... They're copying the human to, and then having a third guy in there to tell the other two what to do. Why can't they just be programmed to know what to do? It doesn't make any sense. It makes it seem like Cylons are grossly less efficient than humans, Mm -hmm. which, you know, um, would explain why they can outfly them three to one. And if their weapons are twice as powerful, it could explain why they have managed to survive in the, in the face of overwhelming odds because they're overwhelmingly bad in in their but they're not you know they're not pushing forward it seems in technology either so i don't know i don't know but let's let's um let's hit a couple things really that big ship as big as a battle star the only way to get from the top to the bottom oh, is a ladder is a ladder yeah 
a ladder. Not the most efficient thing for a Cylon, even if it is capable of walking. It uh, Really, a lift would be the most efficient thing. I mean, how battle stars have them. I mean, how about something even bigger than than one single narrow corridor in the middle? That can't, <clears throat> you know, a one-person ladder where you've got people coming and going up and down the... And there are a lot of Cylons on that ship because it has 200 fighters. And if it has 200 fighters, it's got 600 Cylon pilots. And that ship sure didn't seem big enough when you get on the inside. No, it didn't. Right, right? I mean, that's... Partially, it's cheap sets, but <clears throat> it, it, it really... And then they have, let's see, uh, no security of any kind on the landing bays. That's or a human fact, thing. <laughs> or, or the fact that, that if a patrol is flying along and they stumble across another ship they don't recognize, they just let it join in formation and fly back with them. Or land, and nobody checks to see, or or no Cylons have to take care of the ship and come in and do post-flight refueling or whatever. It just, it's like, how did the humans not wipe them out 900 yarns ago? It's just like when we were talking about Dr. Wilker thinking, coming up with the idea after a thousand years, hey, maybe we could reprogram them. <laughs> it's like, or we could literally just get a whole bunch of Cylon fighters and fly them into their hangars and get out and shoot them all. Okay, um, really, actually, the answer for this is is really, really simple. Uh, 70s network primetime sci-fi. <laughs> um, I did just read something today that was a quote from one of the show guys. I, can't, I don't think it was Glenn Larson. I think it might have been... Belisario? One of the others. It might have been, yeah. Um, and they were talking about that the network sensors, um, his words were, took the balls out of the Cylons. Um, they were not allowed to kill people much. But because the Cylons were machines, the humans were allowed to kill as many of them as they wanted. Because they're not alive. Um, right. And so the negative effect of that was that you could go on a raid, kill a hundred Cylons, and one human gets shot in that whole thing. And mm -hmm. they came off as incredibly bad because they couldn't inflict damage because of the sensors, not because of the, the premise of the show. So th this is, you know, this is just part of that whole Cylons can't be logical, efficient killers. It just doesn't... It's not doesn't good for network. For no, and, and we've talked about this you know, ad nauseum about just the nature of 70s sci-fi, if you even want to call it that, uh, with all the, you know, the, the various American science fiction shows that, that we've, we've uh, talked about here, uh, that there was just no strong drive to try to deliver something that could really stand under any kind of scrutiny. Because, and, and this is a sad truth, and that is science fiction fans... We're never taken seriously. I mean, we mm -hmm. were we were a demographic, so sometimes it seemed like, oh yeah, let's just put something out there. We know that those nerds will eat it up. Doesn't matter what it is. And to some truth, in some effect, there is truth to that, and it stems from the fact that we were starving for anything to watch. But uh, if if we were to take a look at it and and really just scrutinize it and analyze it under a magnifying glass, I mean, we all of us would have just completely punched holes in it at the time. 
you know, like like we're doing now. But those executives just didn't think that fans were that intelligent. Uh, now I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a on a limb here because you know that that is that's a legit narrative. I'm not I'm not saying that's not true, but I think there's also a certain amount of um, there's a certain amount of um, amongst fandom. We go, well, you know, the networks, uh, they treated us like idiots. I mean, that's that's part of the Roddenberry narrative, right? I mean, he played that big time on the college circuit. That's true. Right? Right? That that was his thing because that was part of part of the narrative he was selling. And, you know, that's it's not strictly what he told was not strictly true. There partially, certainly, but you know, he's playing it to be favorable to to, you know, I'm bringing you the good stuff. And well, he care. was also but, bitter. Yeah, but here's my question. And if you look at any show in the 1970s, I don't think that they were looking at the science fiction audience and saying, well, those idiots will just watch anything. I think they were looking at the population of the entire country and saying, those idiots will watch anything. Because mm. even the non-science fiction shows, you watch them, most of them are pretty... Pretty poorly thought out. I mean, I I can see how, you know, sometimes you don't fall into a trap. I think that's probably what part of what it is, is that if you have a writer who can write an episode of Charlie's Angels and it's really not particularly fantastic anyway, but it's okay. And then you turn around and you write an episode of something like this. It's really easy to put your foot in it because you're not thinking about just like the celestial chamber and the navigation shooting by the stars. You're just like, really? Come on. <laughs> it's like, so I think, I think it's just the sort of, they just didn't think we were smarter than the rest of the audiences, maybe. But I, I think they held everybody in equal contempt. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with total even contempt. It's, uh, across it's possible. It's very possible. So, um, and, and I do think you have to think a little bit harder to do a, a science fiction show. I mean, perfect example, Black Sheep Squadron or Baba Black Sheep, whichever year you prefer. World War II, fighter pilots, Japanese. Uh, you could probably take every one of those stories that they did on that show and you could put, put it in spaceships and it wouldn't be too far removed from Battlestar Galactica. But you would suddenly start going, why would they fly dogfights like that? That wouldn't make any sense. What are the odds of them finding a little planetoid to land on where they and the Japanese soldier could, you know, fight it out hand to hand and come to become to be friends before they're, you know, all of those cliche stories that they just substitute planetoid for island and ocean for space and, and plane for spaceship. And, you know, that they're just translating, they're just translating it and they're not thinking about why it wouldn't be the same. Oh, no, I agree with that. I'll, I'll agree with that completely. So I, I, I think a lot of this is is just... <laughs> just It's just the writer is just like, yeah, I'm getting paid. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They're going to take it. I, I've, I've turned in the script and they didn't give me any notes. So, okay. We're good. And feedback from uh, audiences only came in one form, and that was a Nielsen rating. That was the mm-hmm. only feedback they had. So much, yeah. now it's a completely different animal. I mean, yes, I, I, we, I keep hearing that Nielsen ratings are the official thing that count, but there is still social media. And with the completely uh, re, re, redistribution 
of television shows and movies and all throughout the different types of platforms that are out there. You know, we're we're in a world now where showrunners are listening to the the fans uh, much much more closely than they used to. You know, even back when like Next Generation or Deep Space Nine was on. I mean, back then they didn't give a hoot what the fans were thinking. Right. Well, when you're yeah, when you're in social media, you are. You know, even if people don't know that you're out there, right? You are. You're out walking amongst the people mm-hmm. where they weren't before. Where, you know, what they would get would be official information. Or what they would get would be the fan letters if they themselves even got the fan letters. Um, or, or you know, if they did get fan letters, they might be filtered. So that we just, oh, here's one from somebody or rather that we thought you should maybe respond to. So, you know, they're just they're just not having that interaction. The opportunity wasn't even there for them to have that interaction. So, yeah, yeah, that, that has to change you. That has to alter the way you think. I suspect in some cases it makes you bitter and evil, like yeah. Kim Moffat. <laughs> oh, I know I said it. No, I, you know, I, not trying to pick on him too much, but, I, I, you know, he left social media or he kind of bowed down from social media because he was taking a lot of crap and you know nobody should have to take a lot of crap on social media i mean yes you're a public figure but but still the amount of ire and hatred and 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 vitriol that comes out is unfair when it's directly it's one thing to critique the work and say why you critique the work and and hopefully we don't we aren't just bashing things i know that we a lot of times critique the work but i at least try to make a conscious effort to try to divorce the two things it's not easy to do sometimes but you know i feel like and this is totally a feeling that towards the end of moffat's time he definitely was pulling stuff just to tweak the noses of the people it's possible yeah i mean he was i'm not saying he was trying to make bad doctor who but that, that that's not it at all together but it's like you know, oh, did I did I see a whole bunch of crap about that? Well, then let's just I'm just I have the power. I can just throw that out there and tweak their noses a little bit to show them that they are not right. I are right. And and I think that's, you know, I I, I think that's human nature. <laughs> I think you put in a you shovel enough on somebody's face, they're going to they're going to bite back. So however way they can. But uh, that seems to have nothing to do here with what we're talking about. But what the heck? Um. Oh, what I did want to say, though, is with the security that they had on that ship, what they really needed to defeat the Cylons was nothing more than a bunch of Russian hackers run by the KGB, because Mm. I am pretty sure they could have taken them out. Even our hackers right now in Russia could have taken the Cylons down the way they run their their campaigns. Anyway, um, waggling the ship back and forth. I, I, I have a feeling that's stolen... Right out of a movie somewhere. It fe- yeah, it felt very borrowed, but I couldn't tell you where. Yeah, it, it felt like, wow, I, I, it's almost like there is a World War II film. Yeah, I keep, that's what I, they, what I was thinking, too. Yeah, <laughs> but I can't. Yeah, it, 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 it's it, so. like a Midway or something. I don't know, but I kind of get that same feeling. Um, and then finally, I, I, the Apollo moon landing. I, um, I, I appreciate the fact. No. Let's put it this way. If a show were to come up and put something like that in it, which obviously they did, cold, I would look at that and go, 
Well, that is just stupid that the first signal from mankind would reach them is some huge, major, important event in the history of mankind. Yeah, and actually it shouldn't have been. That should not have been the first thing. No, I mean, there is, you know, the whole maybe it's bouncing around and who knows what it is. But no, it should absolutely not have been the first thing. They should have been getting all sorts of signals in that. Heck, um, the first, they, they should have seen um, the, the address that Hitler gave during the Olympic Games. Well, because that was one of the first televised signals to go out. OK, but I, I don't know that they're using the same, you know, that's maybe that's not gamma frequencies. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with I don't know. But there are other spaceships that we flew. That used the same frequencies that Apollo used. Like I think they just picked the it because what of what it represented. And you know, Apollo. and it's so and it's so but, recognizable uh, too. It's extremely recognizable. It's the, the only thing they have that looks like space flight too. Yeah, right? I, mean, I mean, we didn't we didn't have that, space shuttles at the time. That's all we. That's but really I, all we had, and, and especially in terms of what we could televise. Because I remember, you know, as a kid watching all the Apollo missions growing up. Or as a child, and and everything was like a NASA animation, and here we have a moon landing, and now it's actually being televised. I mean, this was like a huge deal. It it, it was, but like I say, if it had, if it had come in cold, I would have I would have argued, and and I'm still going to argue a little bit that that it just you know it, it just wouldn't be that that just wouldn't be the thing that they got, and if even if it had been the thing they got, they were getting it like what a day. Or two earlier. Need I remind you the conversation and now we just it again. Need I remind you the conversation yeah. we just had ten minutes ago? Right, right. But here's the thing, and this is what makes this slightly different. The writer was smart enough to know that it would not be something momentous like that, because Apollo literally says that. No, it's not going to be some big thing. I mean, the first communication we're going to get Earth is just going to be routine, 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 routine. He is 100% right. And still they did it. (laughs) Like, that's the part. I mean, the only thing that it does, I think the only thing that it does definitively, absolutely definitively, is if we had some sort of routine chatter, right, in English, it it could still be Terra. Right. By it being by it being, you know, if they'd shot Kennedy or if they'd landed on the moon or Hitler or whatever, then we as the audience would look at that and go, Earth, not Terra, not another human colony. That really is the signal from Earth. Mm. That's that's what it does. <clears throat> it's it's certain. Yeah, that 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 is true. It's certainly it, it's it's unique. Anything else, it, it could have been confused unless they were deliberately to like, you know, pull something out that everybody in American uh, or uh, in, in the United States would recognize as part of the 70s pop culture. Uh, but that, yeah, that it's, it's, it's a cheap attempt at creating something that does not necessarily pander to popular culture and yet tries to elevate the conversation a little bit. You know, and again, I think that's what Belisari was thinking when he wrote it. I mean, I don't know if he actually said, you know, if he wrote that particular little video shot, you know, you know, Apollo and company, you know, they, they see lunar module landing. You know, who knows? Maybe that was uh, Larson's idea. I have no idea what it is that Bar- Belisario had originally written for this. But whoever came up with that idea probably thought this is a great way to kind of, you know, come up with something recognizable. And yet it's not cheap. I mean, it's 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 the it's that weird rationalization again that uh, showrunners and network executives all had back then. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so, but what, what, what does it teach us? It teaches us that... Teaches me nothing. It, it, it says one thing. We must be further forward in time than the moon landing. Oh, well, we have to be, yeah. We have to be past We have to be. Point. It doesn't matter um, regard, regardless of whether the signal is um, a, a gamma echo, like they thought, in which case they're really close. Oh, by the way, did we love that little slight they did with the planets that they were investigating? You know, they, they come to that first planet. Oh, it's a gas giant with um, uh, high-pressure hydrogen. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, here's this other one. It's It's got, you know, carbon, heavy heavy atmosphere of carbon dioxide. Oh, here's this other one. It's a cold, you know, and what we're seeing, Jupiter, Venus, and Mars is what they were showing us, <laughs> which I thought was, you sly bastards, what are you trying to tell us? You know, all right, so that if if the call or if the warriors come in at just the right angle into the solar system, I suppose that is the order that they will come across planets, depending on where everything is during its relative orbit around the sun. But be that as it may, around well, the galaxy. Oh, that's right, <laughs> that's right. These planets orbit the galaxy. Mm, yeah, not mm. the sun. Um, but be that as it may, and I forgot what the heck point I was trying to make. The I don't slide. recall the slight. You said there was a slight. Oh well, I was well. That was just a a, oh. a a secondary thought that came into mind. You know, it's it's a little fake out that they gave us. You know, showing those planets. Oh, oh, I remember. Oh, it, it was about it was about the signal, about the gamma signal. So regardless of whether the signal is close or whether it's far, yes, there's there's no question about it. We are definitely ahead of the lunar landing. We just don't know by how much at this point. It could be as much as ten thousand light yarns. It could be because. As Boomer said, we don't know. It could be 10,000 lights. Well, especially so, if it's a direct signal. However, I think we know how far it is because we know that next up, they arrive at Earth in the year 1980. Oh, now hang on. Hang on. Was that the original intent? Oh, who knows? Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> think it was. I, they were laying seeds here, I think. I'm not entirely sure that they thought the series was dead in the water. By the time they filmed this. Uh, and I base that on two things. First, there is uh, this, this signal. And them approaching the solar system with these particular unique planets the way they are. And, and, and if, again, the order in which they come across them I thought was a little bizarre. But as I said, if they're coming at the right angle and depending on where everything is located in its orbit around the sun, the, that yeah, it might work. Uh, and we do hear that this solar system is on the very outer edge of the galaxy. Yeah, we are. We happen to be. The other thing is laying the seeds for the whole relationship between Apollo and Sheba. Mm-hmm. You just don't drop that unless you're hoping that you're going to have some sort of future for that relationship. Oh, I'm sure they were hoping to continue on. I and, think I think those you know, they definitely thought they were going to continue on. And I doubt they thought this was the last episode. Oh, I don't think they did. I don't believe that they, they. I don't think they thought this was the final. And they were probably already looking at where they were going to go from that point on. Uh, and if that were the case, then I really think that we might have been looking at a possible visit to Earth much much sooner. You know. I, I have to say, I feel that it was a mistake to drop this uh, Apollo landing. I mean, we spent a fair amount of this year with the stuff from Terra, which I thought, notwithstanding some of the choices that they made with regards to the stories themselves, but the notion that there is a planet that 
bears striking more resemblance to Earth from the audience's point of view. Um, that you know, you you, you kind of feel like it has to be it has to be related to Earth more so than it is related to the colonies, time units, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, we have no idea because they've never heard of Earth, so maybe they're a long way from Earth too. But it it keeps the mystery open and it keeps you know it keeps it pushing it further away but by dumping by dumping this on it as you say you almost feel like they're going to have to get to earth pretty darn soon I because think I, that I don't was think the plan. we could deal with an I don't think we could get another um no. I don't think we could get another psych out like No no two. no they can't do that again No no they'll lose that, that would, I think they were smart enough to realize that that would be a bad idea to to try and fake out the fans just one more time but I have to say, I also would like to think that they're smart enough to know that finding Earth actually would be the death knell. It's the end of the show. For this show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, it would be the end of the show. Unless, yeah. some and, of, unless some of the ideas that were uh, already set aside were to be, you know, a later got used in Galactica 80. So it's very possible that Galactica 80 really is, in terms of the, the content of the story, what's next to follow. The only reason that it's Galactica 80 with a different cast is because they couldn't bring the originals back. Right. Now there is, uh, I mean, and, and we absolutely have to, at the very least, do Galactica Finds Earth. Um, and it has some fascinating stuff about its background and, and prominence but we can save that for for that one i will say this uh i was also reading some information about the uh, the ratings and the ratings weren't great no they weren't ago, no. which is why it was canceled right it was twice as expensive per hour as a regular tv show yeah it was the most expensive especially the pilot it was the most expensive yeah. television show for its day but the ongoing episodes were close to a million a piece when a normal show was about Four hundred and fifty thousand. Even so, with all I mean, the was, stock footage, yeah, it was it was a lot of it was a very expensive show, and it was up against what do you think it was up against? Probably Mash. That or All in the Family. All in the Family. Okay, that's right. Sunday nights. When, when Galactica left, ABC took its mega hit Mork and Mindy over to clash with All in the Family, which actually became Archie's place because that's when they. Dump the civics and or Edith left. I mean, it was Gene Stapleton. Yeah, and that, that, way down the list yeah. on you on Archie Bunker stuff, and uh, and even Mork and Mindy got crushed by Archie Bunker. So you know, in retrospect, you could look at that and go, they made a mistake canceling Galactica. It was not that the show was doing; it was doing okay up against Archie Bunker, which you know what turned out was not a not an easy feat so yeah but this is again uh, and th- this has been an inherent problem with a lot of networks in that they just really didn't understand the subtle science of how the ratings all worked they just saw a number and if the number was bad kill it they didn't bother to make an understanding. Is that, okay, why is this number the way it is? What's going on here? Okay, so because this other thing is going on here, does this make these numbers actually really respectable or not? I mean, they, they didn't even think about any of that, especially in the case of Galactica, with it being as expensive as it was. Yeah, I think I think the I think the number the money number really is probably your first. There's probably an equation. You know, ratings divided by cost. Uh, no. Well, then, then there's also, you know, if 
you have to consider how much revenue the networks were making based on how many people were watching those damn commercials. Right. They, they charge based on the ratings. And so they can't charge as much. If they can't charge as much, then there's a point where it fails out. Right. So it becomes, uh, it becomes simple mathematics at that point. And we're talking dollar signs. Yep. So this is the, f- call it what we will, let's say the final episode of season one or the final episode of Battlestar Galactica, depending on your point of view. But this is the end of the journeys of Apollo and his his pals, sort of, mostly. <laughs> so um, anything else on this episode? You know, one interesting little tidbit um I've noticed this as as I as we were watching these these shows throughout, you know, uh, our, our reporting for them on this podcast. Every time the the opening credits would start, I would get this catch in my throat, uh, reminding be, being reminded of the wonderful sense of space opera that the series was initially presenting, and and with a slight hint of bitterness uh, as as uh, the the series became anything but that. I mean, it became Love Boat in space, or this in space, or that in space. You know, you know. It, but it, it was anything but the space opera, except for a few episodes or two parters here and there. For for the most part, it was just you know, pablum in space. It was just garbage. And and I kept longing for that sense of uh, space adventure. Now, granted, this episode has got flaws left and right. I tend to overlook them only because I understand this is a '70s property. And it's 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 just going to be put together poorly, and you know that, and that's all there is to it. Uh, depending on how badly and how many there are, you know, might affect my opinion. But what I really liked about this is it felt like a bit of a return to what made the show so promising in the very beginning, and that was this space adventure. And and I remember getting caught up a little bit, you know, when Adama finally you know gets the backbone uh, going and says you know okay we need to attack you know we're not going to run anymore we're going to attack tired of running tired of running we're going to attack and and you know you get the triumphant music uh the cheers you know from from the, from the crew mm-hmm. and and i kind of got that I, I i got caught up in that i will admit you know it's I, i'll agree i'll agree i actually appreciate the premise of the episode in in you know, like I said, there's flaws all over the place, but I appreciate the premise of the episode. And it's a, a very interesting because I have read numerous articles over the years, uh, many of them contemporary, going back as far as Space 1999 uh, and going back, and obviously, contemporary to Battlestar Galactica that says, you know, one of the intrinsic flaws of Space 1999 and Battlestar Galactica is that you have people who are either lost or on the run, that they are not in control of their destiny. They are, they are reactive. Instead of, instead of taking action, exactly. And this episode is them saying, enough, our premise isn't a good idea. Let's go beat up some bad guys. And, you know, Adama is right. He, he is right in The Living Legend. Like, we can't take on that base. We should get in there and steal stuff, and we should sneak around and um, 
just just you know keep on going mm-hmm. right see that is the right it was the right the right, the right decision yes it is the the wise and level-headed thing and here he's not doing that and did you notice i don't even think there's a shot of the fleet there isn't we only hear episode. about one other ship yeah that's it we I, don't see the rest of the fleet at all because if you start thinking about it attacking the base star is sentencing these people to death if they lose yeah, the uh, it's yeah the end of the human race, and that, and that is true. Uh, I had sort of uh, subconsciously rationalized that the Galactica just you know said, okay, you know psh, we're we're taking off, uh, we're gonna leave the fleet behind, you know, but don't worry, people will be back, you know, don't worry about us, you know, as we go off and fight the bad guys, uh, probably with the idea that this is a one shot deal because we can't afford to go all the way around. With that, yeah, it'll what? just take two. Who knows what? But that, <laughs> yeah, but we don't. We, we we can't backtrack and go around. It'll take too long with this fleet. So let's just leave the fleet here parked, and we'll go barreling on ahead, blow the snot through the Cylon base star, and then uh, we, along with the fleet, can all live you know happily ever after, or at least you know until we fight you know, come across the next challenge. So I think this situation was just unique enough that made Adama say, okay, now I'm willing to take the risk. But it's yeah, still a dangerous they one. To set it up as they had to put it up. You know, I, I think it would have been better, frankly, if they hadn't played up the base star. In other words, if we had been given information that said a base star and a battle star are evenly matched technologically, and then we can have a little human hubris here that says, and obviously mm. we're better you know because we're organic and you could have looked at that and said okay they've got the element of surprise equal firepower better support forces that's an equation that i can say adama is weighing the military options and it's good and then you add on to it the piece of apollo and starbuck doing the sabotage run which is the you know, icing on the cake. If we do that, now the odds are 90-10, not 60-40. Yeah. Right? And um, I would have been happier with that. But it sounds like it was too much of a gamble when it was just us taking on the base star. You know, it sounds like, you know, actually, Adama doesn't sound like this is the best plan I've heard. That is you. that is that is unusual because here, yeah, you're right. Right at the Adama makes that announcement, we're going to fight them, and then it's Apollo who comes up with the idea. You know, let's even the odds a little bit. And and I and I I did think for a moment, gee, if the odds are against you, Adama, uh, just this thought of you coming in from this, you know, you know, with this odd angle with the sun, so that you could hopefully blind their sensors. That's a risk. That's a big risk yeah. to be uh, to be taking, gambling the entire fleet in the hopes that you'll be able to take out this one base star because you're tired of running. Now that's the definition of hubris. Yeah, yeah. So and yet I liked but, it. So, yep. Yeah, so I'm gonna say we went out on a high here. Yeah. I mean, I liked the episode. I, not the highest high. No, but, but hey, you know, it was an improvement to some of the you know Felga carp we were getting earlier this year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The young warriors. Oi. <laughs> First. Starbuck and Nidlefanny go... Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. You had to go there. I did. I did. I did. Um, ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, what a joy. <laughs> and listeners, 
I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers! You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.